Welcome to Anchored, a podcast brought to you by The Word Unleashed, the preaching and teaching ministry of Tom Pennington. For more of Tom's content or to connect with us, visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org. Now here's Tom exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. But that raises the question, exactly what kind of being is he? And that brings us to our second key word. He is living. He is alive. Look at Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10. He begins this paragraph, Jeremiah does, in verse 6. There is none like you, O Lord. Here it is, the same chord. You are great, and great is your name and might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? Indeed, it is your due. You see, God isn't just the king of Israel. He's the king of the nations. And in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. But they are altogether stupid and foolish. And he goes on to talk about their making idols. Verse 10, But contrast that to Yahweh. He is the true God. He is the living God. As opposed to those lifeless idols. God is living the New Testament, Paul makes the same point in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. He says that we ourselves report, or they report about us, what kind of reception we had with you, you Thessalonians, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Now you're serving a God who's alive, a, God, a being who's living. You see this in so many places throughout the Scripture, and I'm not going to take time to look at all of them. Let me turn to one more, though, back to Isaiah. I skipped this passage on purpose when we were going through Isaiah because I wanted to show it to you. This is one of the most profound comparisons of the living and true God to idols in all the Bible. Isaiah 44, verse 9. He's just said, I don't know of any other rock. There is none. And in verse 9, he begins to set forth a case against idolatry. And he says, it's ridiculous. It makes no sense. Verse 12, the man shapes iron into a cutting tool, and he does his work over the coals. And he sort of describes the whole process. He gets hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks no water and becomes weary. Another shapes wood, and he goes into all the different ways you can make these idols. He plants a tree, and the rain makes it grow, and then eventually he cuts it down. And part of it he makes, verse 15, into a fire to make baked bread, and he makes part of it into a god and worships it. Verse 16, here's where he gets to the crux. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he eats meat as he roasts a roast and is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I'm warm. I've seen the fire. Not a bright guy, particularly. But the rest of it he makes into a god. His graven image, he falls down before it and worships. He prays to it and says, deliver me, for you are my God. It's ridiculous. Verse 18, here's God's analysis. They do not know, nor do they understand, for he has smeared over their eyes so that they cannot see in their hearts, so that they cannot comprehend. No one recalls, nor is there knowledge or understanding to say, self, I have burned half of it in the fire and also baked bread over its coals. I roast meat and eat it. Then I make the rest into abomination. I fall down before a block of wood. 
Verse 20, he feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? He doesn't even see. He doesn't get it. You and I, those of you who've traveled, you've been in places where you've seen idols, and you've seen this exact thing play out. The contrast Isaiah is making here is between a dead piece of wood or metal and the living, true God. Our God is alive. There's another word that describes what he is, and that is he's infinite. It means unlimited. It means that God in his person has no limitations on him except for two things. The laws of logic, which he himself created, and his other attributes. God is only restricted by his own character and the laws of rational thought that are a reflection of his own character. Without those, he has no limitations. When we say that God is infinite in his attributes, this is important. You know, we use that word a lot. God's attributes are infinite. We don't mean that he has an infinite amount of that quality. You know, when we think of infinite, we think of this sort of stack. He's got this stack of love. And his stack is a whole lot higher than mine. In fact, I can't even see the top It's so much. We think in terms of quantity. For example, when, he say, when we say that his love is infinite, we do not mean that God possesses an infinite quantity of love. But we're saying that God's quality of love, the quality of his love is unlimited. It's without borders. It's without boundaries. It is love to perfection. Take another example, omniscience. When we talk about God knowing everything, that doesn't mean that God just has a bigger mind than we do, and so he can store every last detail in the universe. Instead, we mean that his mind functions so well that he is capable of knowing everything that ever is, was, shall be, or could have been, or could be, and he knows it without learning it. He knows it what the theologians call immediately, without any mediator, without thinking about it, without trying to dredge it up from the back of his mind. He knows it like that. Everything. That's because the quality of his knowledge is infinite. Let me put it another way. The word infinite essentially means not finite. Often when we talk about God, we have to use negative terms because we can't, we can't put our arms and state positively what God is. And so we have to talk about God in negative terms. That's what this word infinite is. It's a negative term. That is not finite. That's what we're saying. The word finite, which describes us, comes from the Latin word for end. Nothing about God has an end, has a terminus. You can try like a diver. I love the illustration that one theologian uses. You can try like a diver to jump in the sea and to keep going down and down and down to plumb the depths of God's love, but you will never plumb the depths of it. You'll never reach the bottom. It's like the, the spiritual that I've heard sung. My God is so high you can't get over him. 
He's so wide, you can't get around him. He's so deep, you can't get under him. You can just come in by and through the Lamb. He's unlimited, infinite in his person. Everything about God, every quality that is God, is perfection. It's unlimited. It has no borders, no boundaries, no end, no bottom, no top. Next, we learn that he's spirit. He is spirit. Someone once said that there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who divide people into categories and those who don't. (laughs) Well, in the universe, there are two kinds of substances or things that exist. There's material or matter, and there is immaterial or non-matter. You understand that? Everything in the universe is either material, i.e. matter, or immaterial, that is, non-matter. Non-matter. The biblical evidence is that God, in the essence of his being, is immaterial. We're talking now about God as a spirit. He is immaterial. In his essential being, God has none of the properties that belong to matter. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Anchored Podcast. If you'd like to access additional content from Tom, or if you're interested in partnering with The Word Unleashed, please visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org and be sure to connect with us on social media. We look forward to studying God's Word together with you on the next episode of Anchored.